Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And if you're a first-timer, welcome aboard. And man, do we have a ton to talk about. The entire NBA shifted on its axis at about 1 a.m. Friday night. Somehow an earthquake at the Vegas Summer League in the debut of Zion Williamson and pro basketball were almost forgotten just like that in an instant. But before we get into the new look of the NBA and a look at the Astros at the All-Star break, I want to introduce Stephen Kerr, who hopefully becomes a regular co-host with me. That's the plan. Give us a quick bio of your background, Stephen, and your connection to Houston sports. First of all, Robert, thanks for having me on the show. It's an honor, and uh, I'm I'm really excited about it. Uh, The first thing I want to get out of the way is that, uh, no, I am not in relation to that other Steve Kerr who coaches that team on the West Coast that... uh, has been such a bitter rival for the Rockets the last few years. That's too bad. So we'll get, yeah, we'll we'll get that out of the way. I wish I made even half the money he made. But uh, my, I have, uh, like you, I have a strong background in both uh, broadcast journalism and written journalism. I spent over 30 years in the radio broadcast industry. Some of that was in sports, but a lot of that was in music radio. I was an air personality uh, here in Austin, Texas, and that's where I reside currently. But I was born in Houston. I was raised there. I grew up in the 70s, so I grew up in the Love You Blue era. Love to talk about. I could I could talk about that all day, and I know you could too, Robert. And uh, I uh, finished high school, moved up to Austin in the early 80s, started my radio career. And uh, I am currently, I, I haven't been in radio for the last three and a half years, but I currently own my own writing and publishing business. I mainly concentrate on sports writing, but more from a youth sports standpoint, I cover, I've done some work for USA Hockey, uh, Flow Sports, uh, d- did a little bit for a blog with uh, Dick Sporting Goods, but I still cover uh, some mainstream sports. And even though I haven't lived in Houston in a long time, I still follow the Astros and the Rockets and the Texans rather closely. I will say I was a big Oiler fan. But I got really upset when they moved to Tennessee. So I am not a Titans fan. I am a Texans fan. So we can get that straight, too. So uh, but I love to talk Houston sports. And that's why I, you know, I found your show some years ago and really excited to be a part of it. Fantastic. Good to have you with us. And you're going to hit the ground running because uh, we got this Kawhi Leonard and Paul George thing uh, going on immediately as we start uh, our our new little coast deal. And, And the thing about. Uh, what had happened on Friday night, I, I don't know how you heard about it, Stephen, but I, I go to, I try to go to sleep. I get in bed. I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to fall asleep here shortly. And, and I just couldn't fall asleep. I was up for about an hour or two hours and I'm not somebody that keeps my phone on next to me, but I got up cause I couldn't go to sleep and I go over and check Twitter and an hour earlier, I noticed like the bomb had dropped and all of a sudden <laughs> the whole world is talking yeah. about uh, Leonard and George. How did, how did you hear about this? Well, I actually heard about it Saturday morning. I, unlike most people, I don't have my notifications on my phone on except for certain things. I, I definitely don't have it on for Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and things like that. So I heard about it Saturday morning. I got up kind of early and uh, had some coffee. I was sitting there just kind of having some some coffee. I'd finished breakfast. Yeah, and I jumped on uh, a couple of sites that I go to to kind of check what's going on the night before and Twitter. And I, you know, the first thing that popped into my mind was, wait, did I miss a, a couple of days or a week 
has, has a week gone by? I mean, my gosh, I, it's almost like 10 years went by and all these things started happening. Uh, it kind of made my head spin, but yeah, it's, it's been kind of crazy. And I, I went out to eat with my family tonight and you know that the NBA has really come a long way when they're showing summer games on television, summer league games. So it has, it has definitely been a topsy-turvy last few days. And as much as we, we may not think it, I, I guess, on the surface, but really, uh, even though the Rockets haven't been making much news, uh, they are very much a part of this, just like everybody else, because it, especially in the Western Conference, because they're certainly affected by all the changes that have been going on. Yeah, I want to talk about how they're affected shortly, but somebody on Twitter put it about as perfectly as you could, and, and I didn't even think about it until I saw this, but they said Kawhi Leonard is the balance in the force. To borrow a phrase you Star Wars junkies out there will love. <laughs> yeah. He ended the reign of the Miami Heat Big Three. He ended the Warriors dynasty, and he just ended the Lakers super team before it even started. They said he's the real-life last Jedi, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's pretty good. I mean, I would say, uh, you know, he's another definition of an impact player, you know, and not necessarily on the court. He, he's an impact player off the court, too. That just kind of popped into my mind. Yeah, we learned don't sleep on Kawhi Leonard and literally don't sleep on Kawhi Leonard. That's it. That's right. He makes his decisions, I guess. Maybe, maybe he's like us, Robert. He can't sleep. He wakes up in the middle of the night. He says, you know what? This is when I need to make my decision. So he makes it late at night. And and it's what's funny is that how the dominoes kind of fall into effect. As soon as that happens, all these things start going on. And I have to tell you, the, the Paul George trade, it, it kind of caught me by surprise. I mean, I, I saw that shortly thereafter. I'm like, wait, what? So, yeah, we. I'm sure we'll talk about that to some extent too, but the, the dominoes really fell. Yeah, no, no question that the Paul George trade, that was the impetus because he wasn't going to go to the Clippers without it. And, and there was even talk afterwards uh, Adrian Wojnarowski said, look, uh, Toronto was even considering or being offered possibly uh, Russell Westbrook and a package with Paul George to go to Toronto. And, and they were trying to figure out which was the best location. And I think wherever Paul George was going to go, whether it was Toronto or, or the Clippers, that's that's where the trade was. And they met, you know, those guys met Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and they wanted to make it happen. And the one thing I was thinking about is there, there's nobody probably right now that hates Paul George more than LeBron James when you think about it. Because remember, <laughs> last summer, you know, they 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 wanted to get Paul George. They thought they were going to get Paul George. Paul George was talking about going to the Lakers, but then he decides to stay in Oklahoma City. And now it's Paul George that basically ruins Kawhi Leonard, the possibility of Kawhi Leonard maybe being in that big three with the Lakers. And so, uh, you know, Paul George is having all sorts of effect on the NBA across everything. And, and really, Stephen, I'm not sure I can come up with the move that it's affected more franchises than what just happened. The, Ra the Raptors championship team, now it's over. The Lakers, a potential dynasty Maybe that's over. I don't think they can get a third max player for two years, if I understand the cap implications. So this has got ripple effects for them for, for years. This was their window. And the Bucks and the Sixers immediately become the co-favorites in the East. And finally, you go to sleep as a Thunder fan thinking, hey, I got a shot to win a championship with a healthy Paul George in the playoffs next year, which they didn't have this past year. And then you wake up and, and you're in a total rebuild. 
boom. Yeah, a, a couple of things. You know, if you think the Rockets fans are upset because of the swing and miss on Jimmy Butler and uh, some of the other free agents they were looking at, hey, LeBron James has kind of swung and missed the last couple of years. You know, he, he didn't get Kawhi. And, and Oklahoma City fans have to be just reeling even more than some of the other teams do because they've lost James Harden. They've lost Kevin Durant. They thought they had Paul George secured up. Now he's gone. And you know Russell Westbrook is going to be gone. Surely they're, they, they've got to trade him. They, they're basically just, they might as well just blow that team up and rebuild. So I can only imagine how those fans in Oklahoma City feel right now. The one guy that is quietly making another big splash and doing another great thing, Jerry West. And if there's any doubt, can we just say Jerry West, the greatest executive in the history of sports. It's not even close, Steven. I mean, yeah, no question. No question. He built the Magic Lakers and their five titles, the Kobe Shaq Lakers, three titles, and basically set up the last two by the by getting Kobe. And of course, that that they couldn't have done those last two titles without Kobe. He pretty much turned the Grizzlies into a relevant franchise, gave them Pal Gasol, who turned into Marc Gasol, who turned into a big part of the grit and grind Grizz. He built the Golden State Warriors dynasty and their three titles. And he's quietly behind this latest move, done it with, you know, a few different moves. You got to realize that he was there for all of this because they flipped to Tobias Harris for assets, ditched the terrible Blake Griffin contract, brought in this nice supporting cast and infrastructure with the Chris Paul trade. We all know about Patrick Beverly, Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams. And that that's an infrastructure that the Lakers didn't have, Stephen. Yeah. And you notice that, I mean, a lot of people really aren't talking about some of the role players that you just mentioned that the Clippers had. They've been spending so much time on on the main ones, but maybe Jerry West can actually break the Clippers' curse, you know, if there is such a thing. Because, you know, the Clippers, they, they kind of reach a point where it looks like they're going to be good, and then all of a sudden they fall down on their face, they get rid of everybody. But, yeah, Jerry's a smart guy. I mean, the Lakers should never have let him get away some years ago uh, because look where they are now. I mean, yeah, they've they've got some good players, but they still haven't put it all together yet. And just too many things could happen. But yeah, Jerry West is such an engineer when it comes to teams like this. So you kind of knew it shouldn't come as any surprise that he's making the Clippers into what could be a super team. Let's veer back to the Rockets and, and the Western Conference hierarchy and where are they? And I disagree with Ben DuBose, my guest on the last show, that the Lakers are behind the Rockets even without Kawhi. I just don't see how a team with LeBron and Anthony Davis aren't ahead of the Rockets, but I want to get back to the Lakers because they've made a lot of kind of strange moves as well. But remember that the Clippers won as many games from a fully healthy Kevin Durant-led Warriors team as the Rockets did in the playoffs. And now you add two MVP caliber players. Utah gave the Rockets hell, and they've added two major weapons in Conley and Bogdanovich. At, at best, Stephen, I've got the Rockets at the four seed. Yeah, I find that hard to argue, and that may be even generous. And one thing I will tell you is because of what of, of all the things that have been happening in the West, I think it's going to be even tougher for the Rockets to be in the top four or five. And I can tell you, they they absolutely cannot afford to get off to an 11 and 14 start this next year if the chips fall into place and the West really is as wide open as we think it's going to be, the, the Rockets have got to start out strong. And I just don't know. And, you know, Chris Paul, you know, he's not going to play even close to 82 games. And if he goes out, 
then basically what you're left with is a bunch of guys who try to throw up three-point shots, and then they may fall, they may not. You really need Chris Paul on the court to kind of keep things smart. And, and who knows who the Rockets can pick up between now and then. Uh, but I also don't think all hope is lost with the Rockets either. You know, you look at the Lakers. Yeah, Anthony Davis, he's, he's certainly a good player. LeBron is, is still LeBron. But I don't think they're exactly invincible. I, I was thinking, too, you know, they signed DeMarcus Cousins. They've, they've got Davis. They've got LeBron James. They've got all these divas on the team. Maybe, you know, maybe they should trade for Westbrook because I think he's one, too, in a way. He's got some selfish tendencies. Why don't they get all the divas on that team? Maybe they'll fall apart and won't be able to get along, and they won't be up to snuff. Well, a lot of people think they are. I'm just not as convinced that the Lakers are as invincible. Now, if they had gotten Kawhi, you might have gotten me over to that side of the fence. But I, I still think the Lakers have some room to fall and that, you know, Short of health, you know, LeBron, he, he's found last year that he, he's not exactly that durable. He's getting older. Anthony Davis has had some injury issues. You know, Kawhi had a good year last year, but he's, he's coming off an injury. Cousins, we, we still don't know what he really has. He didn't play that much this past year. So there are some big question marks on the Lakers. So I don't know. It's kind of a toss-up as whether they're better than the Rockets or not, in, in my opinion. You know, if LeBron and Anthony Davis are healthy going into the playoffs, it, it, to, to me, it doesn't matter a whole lot what they've got going into the playoffs if LeBron James is even close to the LeBron James that we're used to come playoff time because we've seen him carry Cavs teams that had far less talent uh, with all the guys put together than Anthony Davis has. But let me just go through the what the Lakers have done because Rob Palenka and, you know, the real GM, Chris Paul continue to make these head scratching moves on the building process. And I'm going to, I'm going to grant them that the Danny green, uh, that was a perfect signing, the, the signing of yeah. him. But unlike, you know, how the Lakers apparently uh, see this, I don't believe in grabbing the market on knuckleheaded centers by signing, you know, guys like JaVale McGee and grabbing boogie cousins and, you know, old man, LeBron and Anthony Davis, at this point, both of those guys should be at the four or five spot. Anthony Davis in the new NBA should be playing the five. Old man LeBron doesn't need to be running guys, running after guys at the three. So the last thing, you know, I, I want to do is, is have those guys be moved uh, to smaller positions. And that's the problem with the Lakers because they, they haven't done anything, uh, as in my mind, at the one and two. And all of their emphasis has been at pretty much the three, four, and five, except for Danny Green. Kuzma is your three. So now what they really needed to do was get players who could create off the dribble. And besides LeBron, they don't have players who can create, Stephen. I mean, Quinn Cook is a catch-and-shoot guy. Rondo, we already know he's a terrible fit like we saw last year. Yeah. Jared Dudley is fine for a locker room guy, but that's about all he is. And for some stupid reason, uh, see Rich Paul, they, they signed Contavious Caldwell-Pope to a two-year $16 million contract. The key is two years and they can't even use him as a trade chip now because he's not even expiring. He's not an expiring contract this year. Yeah. If, who would take on that salary? I mean, I wouldn't. Yeah. Who, who who would want him? I mean, for the money and for the contract, it's, it's a double whammy on that. Yeah. Frankly, I was a little surprised that they brought um, Rajon Rondo back. What, what was it? Two years for him. I think I, I'm trying to remember what it is at least a year, but I want to say two years, but, I was a little surprised they brought him back. And 
I mean, I was joking about the Divas thing earlier, but it almost seems as if the Lakers are trying to get all these big names in there. But like you said, they, they just don't, they don't always fit the positions. They don't, they don't have enough positions for these guys. Let's get to Russell Westbrook. Cause I think you mentioned him earlier. And is there a scenario you would discuss trading poison contracts, you know, Chris Paul for what Russell Westbrook and I'll open by saying, I can't say there'd be much in that move for OKC because the Rockets just don't have anything to, to give in there, you know, but you know, maybe you can work a three-team trade. But with Russell Westbrook, do I want him? I mean, not really. I'm not exactly a president of his fan club. But at, at the same time, if if you told me the Rockets get rid of Chris Paul and not much else and they get Russell Westbrook back, I'm saying that's an improvement because at least, you know, Russell Westbrook, I think, has a couple more years in his prime than Chris Paul has at this point. Yeah, I would agree with that. He certainly, as far as quality is concerned, Westbrook would be a much better fit. But I I don't know. I, I just can't see him being with the Rockets, you know, and, and you know that people are going to say, well, he, well, I guess, you know, the, the Thunder, they did get to the finals at one year, but Russell hasn't won a championship. James Harden has yet to win a championship. You're going to get all these guys that have gotten to the brink, but can't quite get over the hump. And there's just, I, I still think there's a bit of selfishness to Westbrook that that like there is for Harden as much as and and I don't know you know who's gonna who's gonna take Chris Paul at this point I I just don't know how he could be a viable trade chip unless somebody just surprises and comes out of the woodwork and says yeah we we want this smart guy on our team but I I just don't see Westbrook being a fit with the Rockets And, and I think Oklahoma City wants they want younger players and they want more draft picks. They're they're starting to accumulate them already. Yeah, he he's been brought up in a trade, you know, a possible swap with the Rockets or the idea that the Rockets are interested in him. I I think the Rockets do this thing where they put their name into everything because they want the rest of the NBA. This has nothing to do with the fans or what the fans right. perception is. I think they want the other players in the NBA to think, well, the Rockets are always trying to get the big fish. They're always trying to win. I, don't be confused with oh, the Rockets are just trying to put out good PR. The PR is for the players in the NBA and a perception that the Rockets are big game hunters and the Rockets care about winning championships. And so throw that out. Let me throw something else out, out at you, Stephen. Um, ben Dubose with a good thought on getting Iguodala from Memphis, but I wouldn't exactly throw a first-round pick uh, for for him because Iggy doesn't make you better than the Clippers at this point, if they're, if they're healthy, obviously, I mean, I get that the first round picks are, are getting thrown around like they're as worthless as a stock in Sears or something like that, but it, it may be better to hold on to that first round pick to use for an asset for a bigger fish down the road, because these days you never know which gr- disgruntled player is going to shake loose. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I mean, I think you know, the Rockets, I mean, they didn't even have a draft pick this past year and as much as Daryl Morey, I know, likes to grab the big free agents and make the big trades and make the big splashes, there's something to be said about drafting well. You you need to draft good young players that are going to be part of your core, too. And I just think I, I was I was appalled I, and I was so relieved when the Rockets didn't get Jimmy Butler, especially the first time when they were wanting to offer four draft picks. Are you kidding me? I mean, Jimmy Butler's a good player, but come on, he is not worth that many picks that high up, uh, especially with 
his own selfish tendency. So I'm, I'm a little squeamish about, no, I, I think with his age, I, I don't know that I would give a first rounder for Iguodala. Now, I do think he has a great defensive presence and, and certainly would, would benefit the Rockets, but I might get a second round pick for him. But I, yeah, I don't know that I would go for a first rounder for him. It's going to be interesting to see what it'll take because they're, they're not interested from what it seems just to let him go. And so if that's the case, they want something. It's what other teams might be willing to give him. You're fortunate in that the Clippers and the Lakers basically traded everything that they have got to trade. So I don't think they could be in the mix. They, they can't offer a first rounder for sure with, with uh, the way things are set up now. Um, I don't know who else would be an option for him uh, as far as another team that's a real contender. Someplace, you, you think it'd be someplace that he wants to go, so they'd be and someplace to be willing to give up a, a first-round pick because they feel like that would be a, a big thing for them and maybe Philadelphia, somebody like that. But I, I just don't know what other options Memphis is going to have for a deal for somebody that would want Iguodala. So may, maybe a second-rounder, a couple of second-rounders would be enough uh, just to get rid of the contract. And, and of course, that would be also with a sign and trade, as, as Ben said, with uh, Shumpert, because you got to send some money back the other way, the way it, the way it works. Right. I just don't know how the Rockets do a whole lot from here on to improve. I think they've still got a little bit money left, but the chips are falling off the board pretty quickly. I mean, the Iguodala thing could happen by the time a lot of you hear this. And then also Marcus Morris was another guy that I thought the Rockets should have been interested in, but you know he's he got picked up by the Spurs, so... There's not a whole lot out there at this point, and and you don't have a whole lot of money anyway to begin with to to pay anybody. Now, don't get me wrong. I would love to see Iguodala in a Rockets uniform. I I definitely think he would benefit them, certainly give them even more of a presence. We don't know, you know, and and who's to say that there still wouldn't be, you know, you still have the, the buyouts coming in December. Who knows what could shake between now and then. And I'm not so convinced that, you know, I, I could still see, Somewhere down the line, depending on what the Rockets do between now and then, you know, I don't think Clint Capella is going to be off the trading block necessarily. What, what do you think about that? You think you think he could still go somewhere? Oh, I mean, everybody's on the trading block as long as Daryl Morey's got a pulse. It, it, well, the that's right. The question is, I just don't know how, why you would trade Clint Capella unless you're getting a superstar back. That's the only way. Yeah, they're not going to trade him just to trade him. No, they, they, that would be crazy to do that. Yeah. I, certainly. I, I don't know. And they, and they, they haven't got a, another big man uh, in free agency yet. They're, they're talking about Tyson Chandler. That's, that's now a rumor according to Tim McMahon. So, I mean, but that's not enough to hold you down. I mean, he's a 10, 12, he's another Nene basically at this point in his career. He's a good locker room guy, all that kind of thing. But they, they didn't get that big man like a kid, Kevon Looney yet, or, you know, they, that, that hasn't happened. So, unless you have a big man that can step in, if you were to trade Clint Capella and maybe you could use him to get two guys and improve you in two different spots or something like that. But I don't know, you know, I don't know what you do. And, and I, and like I said, with Ben, I, and I don't know how you feel about this. It, it, it's almost like Capella has gone from maybe we overrated him to a lot of Rockets fans, just incredibly underrating what, what he can do. I, I kind of go back and forth on Clint. I mean, I, we don't know how much that, respiratory thing affected him deeper into the playoffs. We, I, I mean, I, I kind of went back and forth as well. Is it that, or is he just 
has he just run out of gas? Did, did that maybe make him run out of gas before the playoffs were over? Because, I mean, last year in the postseason, he, he actually played very well. And we, so you can't say that he's a notorious failure in the playoffs. I mean, I might, I might, I'd be willing to give him one more year. And then maybe if he flops in the postseason, say, yeah, he maybe he just, he does well in the regular season, but just it doesn't quite take that extra step in the playoffs. As far as Iguodala, I, I mean, would he even be willing to be a backup on the Rockets? You know, that's the other thing is how happy would he be playing a lesser role? I just, I don't know that I would want him being my starting guy. Iguodala? Iguodala. Yeah, I mean, he should be fine. He's was coming off the bench for Golden State. I, for him, it's about championships. I, I don't see him having a problem with any of that. Yeah. Any Anything else from what you've uh, seen as far as the repercussions of the deal or any other Rockets thoughts that you got? On paper, the West looks so tough, but once you get in the regular season, all kinds of crazy things can happen. And the Rockets, you know, who knows? that? I, I certainly don't think they're going to be a 65-win team or a 60-win team. But if everything falls into place, I mean, I am glad that they, they at least have their starting seven, eight guys back. I, I think that at least solidifies, hopefully they won't be any worse. The question is, is that going to be enough if the West really does come together like we think it will? But I'm, I'm not ready to give up on the Rockets season just yet before it's even started. Yeah, the key is what you said, I think, is that, you know, to get off to a quick start would be huge because you should be able to. You're coming back with pretty much the same group of guys you're intact while the guy, the teams that we talked about that you're worried about, the Clippers have added two huge pieces. The Lakers have added two huge pieces. Utah has added two huge pieces. So they're going to have to try to get chemistry. So that's going to be a big part of it. A couple of other, you know, just Rockets related things before we get over to the Astros, uh, Stephen and one of them is really sad, a, 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 a sad news for a really fun ro- Rockets old school star. A couple of days ago, the man called Black Magic Lou Lloyd died in Philadelphia, 60 years old. Uh, you know, he was 60, believe it or not. Lloyd was a fourth round pick by the Golden State Warriors, which I had forgotten. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Back when they had four rounds in the draft. Oh, yeah. There's more than that, I think. Yeah, way more than that, like eight rounds. Yeah. Seven, eight rounds. Before the Rockets uh, picked him up as a free agent, actually. They got him as a free agent in 1983, drafted by Golden State, and and the Rockets virtually got him for nothing. I think there was a compensatory pick, which they used to do back then, like they do in Major mm-hmm. League Baseball. And he was a key guy in that 86 finals run. You could count on him to be in double digits every game. In fact, he was in double digits Every game he played for the Rockets from 83 until that drug suspension in 86, all 278 games. And Steven, he was a 50% field goal shooter for his career. Of course, the, the infamous drug suspension that cost the Rockets, him and Mitchell Wiggins really helped shut down what, you know, we think could have been a Rockets dynasty. Well, that's absolutely right. I mean, I remember the, I followed them in the 86 season when they lost to the Celtics and they were just, they had such high hopes. You know, of course, Samson got hurt that year. And then the Lloyd and Wiggins suspensions. And, and don't forget, John Lucas, he was in there too. And, you know, he had the drug problems. So you're talking practically half your, maybe not half your team, but less than half your team suddenly gutted the year after they go to the finals. 
And yeah, we sit and talk about what could have been, but Lewis Lloyd was absolutely, he, a lot of people don't talk about him, but yeah, your stats are right on. And, and he was as much a key part of that 86 team as anybody else was. And uh, yeah, very sad to, to see him and died so young at 60. You know, I'd forgotten until I was looking it up that Lloyd actually played for the Rockets one more time during the 89-90 season, just 19 yeah. games. And, and that was briefly. Yeah, it was his last 19 of his NBA career. If you go into the archives, our archives, you can find, uh, you know, look back at that 86 Rockets final teams. It, it, it's uh, a conversation I had with Robert Falkoff, who was covering them for the Houston Post. We talked about how Robert Reed and Lou Lloyd thought Lloyd and Wiggins were set up by somebody in, in the drug deal and Lloyd said quote we were definitely set up probably somebody on our team set us up which is really weird he said Mm. he said quote it was unbelievable but uh Stephen you mentioned Ralph Sampson and speaking of that 86 team Ralph turns 59 years old today as you and I speak so happy birthday Ralph wow I'm feeling old Uh, (laughs) I really am feeling old when Ralph Sampson is 59 years old I mean I'm I guess I'm dating myself here but that's not too much older than I am, Robert. So, uh, wow, fifty nine, huh? Yeah, I know a lot of you know a lot of people listening have no memories of Ralph. So let's celebrate Ralph on his birthday. Listen to what a couple of guys who covered Ralph thought of him over the six years on the podcast. I've had a chance to sit down with Robert Falkoff of the Houston Post and Fran Blindberry of the Houston Chronicle about Samson's career. Let's hear what what those guys had to say. He was a shooting star. He was the golden boy. He was the face of cable television in its infancy. He was the first guy that really became a larger-than-life figure, and so maybe we all expected too much when he came to the NBA. But he was an all-star. I believe he was the MVP of an all-star game. When the injuries came, it really diminished what he could do. But uh, there was a time when he was certainly great, and the, you know, the Elijah Juan Sampson combo was really a formidable force. Ralph Sampson was a great player for five seasons, four seasons, five seasons. Ralph Sampson averaged 20 points and 10 rebounds. And in any era of the NBA, you average 20 points and 10 rebounds, you're a Hall of Famer. Now, Ralph is a Hall of Famer, but that, I mean, that, that he eventually got in, that was more based on his his uh, uh, college career, where he's a three-time college player of the year. But Ralph Sampson was a great basketball player. He was not a classic center. That always frustrated Bill Fitch who wanted somebody who was a low post presence and Ralph was, you know, long and slender and didn't have a, a low center of gravity and could be pushed out of there. And, and, and Ralph was, it was fortunate that the next year they tank again and they, they, they get Akeem who can play center and Ralph can move out to the power forward. But, you know, that combination in 86, when they went to the finals, you know, they, they could, they could rebound, they could block shots, they could get the ball off the glass, throw it down court, run on the fast break. That was a really a, a fun team, and the only thing that 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 has people now forgetting how good Ralph is was was the knee, the knees that went, and that all came as a result of a, a, a really nasty fall, uh, one game in Indianapolis where he fell and smacked his head and, and tried to come back a little bit too soon and was compensating because he landed off landed on his hips and that started the deterioration of both knees but you know i i i i've been a defender of ralph for you know well three decades now uh he, he truly was a great player that was fran blindberry who i still think is with nba.com or at least last i heard what do you remember about samson and the miracle shot that put the rockets in the final steven oh my goodness i, I was I was watching that game on television when it happened. I, I wish I had 
because I was a big Gene Peterson fan. I have to I have to tell you, um, I listened to a lot of their games on the radio, but I was here in Austin by then. So the Rockets, you know, the, the flagship station, I believe they were on KTRH back then, but they didn't come in quite as well here. And I wasn't able to hear the call. I, I heard the call some years later, but oh my goodness, when when he made that shot, I had to I had to sit there for a few minutes just to believe that it actually happened. Um, but getting back to what those, but what both uh, Robert and Fran were saying about Ralph, I I remember when he played, how critical the fans and the media were of him, and I was always puzzled. And, and you know, you look at the stats though, and the stats bear out that. He was a lot better player than a lot of people gave him credit for. Now, certainly Akeem made him better. Drafting Akeem, it certainly made Ralph Sampson a better player. Putting those two together, they did get to the finals. But, yeah, it always puzzled me. I, I always felt that Ralph maybe had too much expectations. I, I just think he was one of those players that he came into the league with so much expected of him. Some players can handle it, some can. I think Ralph handled it the best way he could. Uh, you didn't read about him too much in the newspapers getting in trouble or, you know, the doing drugs and things like that. He just, but I think people expected him to be all world and he was, I mean, yeah, he could get boxed out very quickly as I believe it was Fran that, that said that, uh, just because of his, his frame, but there's no question he was a great player. I guess it, if you could put people in the hall of fame with five or fewer years played in the league. Ralph would certainly be a candidate. Yeah, you know, he he's somebody that I think would have been just a really solid player. He was never going to be what I believe is a superstar that could carry a team to a championship, but he need, didn't need to with Akeem. So, you know, I, I think if you'd have kept those two together, uh, they sort of complement each other in a way, uh, even though it didn't seem like that was going to be the case at the time. In today's basketball, it might be a nightmare because – you know, neither guy was tremendous from the outside, although Ralph could shoot a little bit and had a nice form. Uh, the the one thing that I, that I remember about Ralph was that, you know, in that game, he hits that turnaround shot and it's just, it's like uh, one of the craziest bounces ever. The ball go, goes into the basket and you got to go back and listen to that interview that I did with uh, Robert Falkoff on the 86 team and that game because he talks about uh some of the stuff that was was going on behind the scenes and and, and the stuff that was happening in that game that you know that that was such a uh a, a unreal moment for a lot of different reasons because Akeem had gotten kicked out of that game that's right he sure did and you know what a lot of people don't remember is the Rockets I'm pretty sure this is right the Rockets beat the Lakers four games to one in that series that was not a game seven that came down to the wire. The Rockets dominated that series against the Lakers. And that whole that, that shot by Sampson in that last in that final game just made it crazier. But the the Rockets just totally dominated the Lakers in that series. And then of course couldn't beat Boston. You know, Boston and no one was going to beat the Celtics. Just like in 78 and 79, no one was going to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, not even the Oilers. But I, I also remember Robert I watched the game when Samson took that fall and hit his head. And quite frankly, I was, I thought he was done when he first went down. I, I thought he was done. I was, I was a little amazed that he came back as soon as he did. And that may or may not have hurt him in the long run, but 
I, I didn't expect him to come back nearly as quickly as he did because he really took a fall. You could hear a pin drop in the arena. Going back to that miracle shot and that game five, the Lakers and the Rockets and the shot that puts him into the finals. Sadly, I was 14 at the time and uh, not sad that I was 14, I, you know, but I, <laughs> sad, sadly that I was 14 and fell asleep uh, watching the game. <laughs> you know, I had high school the next day. You know, I was a freshman and I just uh, somehow uh, was watching the game and, and it was probably one o'clock in the morning, Houston time. It was, it was crazy when it ended because the game started real late. It was in L.A. And it was one of those games that, uh, you know, you, you're just like um, trying to stay up for when you're a, a kid. And I just couldn't. And I woke up the next morning, found out what happened and was happy. But at the same time, sad that I missed the shot. <laughs> and you didn't have, you know, 100 replays. You, you didn't have Twitter, you know, social media would be or YouTube would be showing it day after. I mean, you had ESPN and I'm sure they they showed it for days afterwards. But yeah, you, you didn't have quite as many opportunities to look at it as you would now. Well, anyway, we feel old. Ralph's 59 years old and Lou Lloyd has passed away. So uh, in- interesting uh, weekend for the for the fans of the 86 team. Let's go to the Astros. Uh, not a whole lot going on with the Astros, except they're back on track. And Yuli Gurriel is just killing baseballs right now. Anything that has uh, caught your eye as we head into the All-Star break here, Stephen, what's on your mind about the Astros? Well, I was just wondering, is there any way that we can get Carlos Beltran back somehow, you know, as an advisor, as a as a bench coach? Well, okay, we can't be the bench coach. We displaced Joe Espada, but I don't know. Can we offer him more money to come back? Because apparently he's the one that gave Gurriel a piece of advice when the Astros were in New York to play the Yankees. Because ever since he talked to him, Gurriel's hit the cover off the ball. So once again, we, we could probably point to Carlos Beltran as <laughs> the reason that the Astros are suddenly hitting better. And he's not even on the team. In fact, he's he's with one of the rivals now. He's with the Yankees. You know, the Astros season, I'm, you know, it's hard to argue with where the, with their record. Uh, they still have, I believe, the, the third best record in, in uh, the majors. But there certainly are some concerns with the pitching, uh, the the trades, you know, scenarios that we've talked about. You know, they're going to make a deal. They have to. All this pitching depth we thought they had in the minor leagues isn't necessarily coming into fruition. You know, Corbin Martin, they tried him at that slot. He got hurt eventually. Uh, J.D. Bukowskis has been ineffective in the minors. Forrest Whitley hasn't had a good year. You know, they, they've shut him down. So, you know, they have to make a deal. And, of course, you know, Peacock being out, that concerns me, too. Uh, Colin McHugh has only just recently come back. So uh, there's definitely concern in the pitching. So you know they're going to make a deal. I think from what I heard, I, I think I heard something the other day, Robert, and maybe you heard this, too. But once they come back from the All-Star break, I believe A.J. Hinch is going to put Wade Miley kind of in between Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole kind of split up that a little bit. I think that that might actually help. I'm I'm surprised he, he wouldn't have done that at the beginning of the season. I hope Brad Peacock's back because I don't know what they're going to run out there at the four or five spot. I mean, it's sad, sad what hap- what's happened to 
Corbin Martin, but we're not seeing him again. He's got the t- Tommy John surgery coming yeah. coming up. Or actually, I think he's already had the Tommy John surgery. And, and Whitley, you can forget about that. Bukowskis, you mentioned his issues. And we talked about a lot, a lot of that stuff with Jimmy Price. But sure would be nice to have Charlie Morton in his 2.36 ERA right now. I just I don't know why they didn't bring back at least one of Charlie Morton and Dallas Keuchel. Because here's the issue. You know, you can't just assume that one of these young guys is going to pop up for you and be ready to go in a playoff situation and a clutch situation. And Brad Peacock and, you know, Colin McHugh, both of those guys look great when they're in the bullpen. Uh, now, Colin McHugh hasn't looked all that great in, in any situation for a lot of this year, but they look better when they're in the bullpen. And I like them in the bullpen, but you kind of had forced your hand into – it's one or both of those guys in the starting rotation without Morton and Keiko and or, you know, one of the young guys. And, and Josh James was a guy that I think they were counting on. And, you know, I don't know how you can count on a, on a Josh James or a Framber Valdez or one of those guys when, you know, you, you're you're expecting somebody to be ready to go as a possible four spot guy in a playoff rotation. And, and, and you do use that fourth pitcher. Uh, these days, at least for one of the series, if not both of the series. So Charlie Morton or Dallas Keuchel, it sure would have been nice to at least have one of those guys. And now you're going to be paying the price of prospects to get a guy like that. And you're probably going to be paying a mu- you know, some sort of money that's similar to that, unless you're paying a bunch of prospects for a guy that's maybe under club control the next three or four years, like a, like a Stroman or somebody like that. Yeah, don't you know... Luno is kicking himself about getting rid of Charlie Morton. I, I, I would have brought Charlie Morton back more than Dallas Keuchel. I just felt that Morton was a more consistent pitcher. Now, he didn't always go very deep into games. You know, he could go the first three or four innings and lights out. And then all of a sudden, he'd run into problems in about the fifth, maybe the sixth. But, you know, if you have a solid bullpen, you can get by with someone like a Charlie Morton. And the biggest problem I've seen with a lot of these young guys, Framber Valdez, Corbin Martin, uh, and, and some of these others that they trotted out there in that number three slot, is their command. They, and Josh James, the same thing. John, Josh James has got incredible stuff. But if you don't locate it well, if you don't have good command of it, doesn't matter how great your stuff is, you're going to run into problems. And that's what's been happening. I, I just, I, I, I'm not ready to give up on any one of them yet. Uh, Except maybe Ramin Goodwan. I don't know that I want to see up, him up here again. I think they've given him numerous chances to straighten it up. Yeah, there's not a huge sample size, but just because he's a left-handed pitcher, I, I don't think he necessarily deserves any more chances than anybody else. But that's the biggest problem I see with a lot of these young guys. I just don't think that they have the command that it takes to be in the major leagues yet. Looking at the rest of the Astros, it, it, it's good to see Altuve starting to round into form. Talked about it a little bit with Jimmy Price. Of course, it's great to see what Yuli's doing. Jordan Alvarez just keeps crushing baseballs, uh, beating him like they, they did something to him. And then, you know, having George Springer back, and every time he plays and doesn't come up lame, I get excited because he's so important to everything that they're doing. Now... I, I will say this. Everybody has kind of bashed old Tyler White, and, and he had a pretty good weekend this weekend. 
uh, by Tyler White standard, picked up some hits. I think maybe five hits this weekend or something like that. But I don't think you're going to see him uh, once Aledmus Diaz is back. So you won't have him to kick around anymore. You have to find a new kind of Astros whipping boy. There's always that one guy on the team that everybody wants to crush on. Um, that's right. The one thing that, that I, I, the one observation I, I, I do have Steven is I, you know, kind of look what's going on with the lineup is I, I still am not seeing, uh, even though they've, they've had some game game winners recently, I still want to see a little bit more of that clutch Astros stuff that we've seen in 2000, especially in 2017, but even in 2018, there, there are runners in scoring position numbers, and I've mentioned it before, but it's worth mentioning again. It's 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 gone way down this year, and it's what separates them from being a really good offense to being a great offense. And and that stuff matters even more when you get into the playoffs. And that's why I want to see it because when you start getting those hits when they really matter, it becomes contagious. You get on a roll, and when you get to the playoffs, it's a habit. You're like, oh, it's a clutch situation. We're going to get the big hit. Yeah, I think that's right. And and the first game of that Angel series this past weekend, I think, backs you up. What were they? Uh, three for eight with runners in scoring position. They they could have pulled that game out. They, they could have swept the Angels if it weren't for the fact that the clutch hitting didn't come through. I, I think the biggest question that the Astros have after the All-Star break, besides the pitching, the, the rotation, is their health. You know, can Correa come back and be anywhere near the player he should be? Can Springer stay healthy? You know, what is what is Diaz going to do when he gets back? They've, they've just had so many injuries to so many key players, and they've asked these young guys to come in, and I have to say, they did quite a job. I mean, they, it's a good thing that the Astros had the lead that they have in the West, or it, we may not be talking about that right now, but there are still a lot of these young players, you know, the Derek Fishers, the Jack Mayfields, the, the players like that. They started to flame out as time went on. And then you started getting guys like Springer and Altuve coming back. So I think that's really the biggest question for the Astros and whether they can go deep into the postseason is can they stay healthy? And when these players come back and if they can stay there, can they play to the consistent level that they're going to need to if they're going to get into the postseason and face the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Indians or the Twins or whomever? Last thing I got on the Astros is just please get this. You know, Major League Baseball needs to please get this uh, deal at home plate straightened up because I, I really didn't understand what happened in the game on Sunday. And I think you missed it, Stephen. You had some family stuff going on. But Jake Marisnik's coming into home plate. Everybody, all you guys that saw this, all our listeners that saw this, Astros fans, it was frustrating. He's coming to home plate, trying to score the winning run. The catcher, in what I thought was the posy rule, was blocking home plate with the guy coming at him, which I, I didn't think you could with the with the new Buster posy rule. And so yeah. he's he's got he, he's first he's on the left side of home plate, and he's basically straddling the line, which to me that's the definition of blocking home plate. And then he, the ball comes in, and he he had like backed up on the ball, so he's on one side of the line. Then as the ball comes in with Marizic coming in at the same time, he lunges for the ball on the other side of the line. Well, Marizic had already started to veer left. You could see it 
as clear as day as you're looking at him coming into home plate on the replay, at least the one that the, you know, the one that the uh, Astros broadcast had. But no matter what Marisnik was trying to do, which I think he was trying to do the right thing, the bottom line is the, the guy's in the way, the catcher's in the way. And that's something that Major League Baseball has got to get figured out, Stephen, because it, it's really confusing as a fan because you go, I'm watching Jake Marisnik. He's doing, he's bobbing left, he's bobbing right. The guy's bobbing left and bobbing right because the baseball is coming in. And sometimes it's like, it's like a car accident. It's like a, you know, it, 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 there's a lot of times in life where it's nobody's fault. Things just happen. And that's one where the umpires should have just said, all right, even if we think that Marisnik, you know, was maybe should have gotten out of his way. We it's it's so hard because the, the guy's jumping back and forth and and you know let's just let it go. We we can't be for sure. And that's the thing that the replay should be about Stephen. That's one of the things that frustrates me. Replay should be about. It's got to be definite. It has to be definite. You have to be sure before you're going to change uh, a run call. And supposedly they called it. You know, I, I think what Todd Callis was saying, and, and you missed it when you watched it live, is that they did call it on Marisnik to begin with. But I don't know how you do that without be. You got to be sure on something like that, and then you go to the replay. And I don't know how how as an umpire you could be sure to make a call like that initially. It, it's frustrating. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't see the play. I had a have a family situation going on. I didn't see that particular play, but it seems like. Seems like there was another play that was somewhat similar that happened recently where the runner was, you know, he was trying to score and the catcher was blocking the plate. And I don't know if we had more time, I'd go off on a tangent on major league umpires, because I just think that they, their attitude is really what bothers me. But I, I also think that the more judgment calls you have with officials, the the more you're going to have things like this happen. The fewer judgment calls, the better. And I'm with you on replay. If you're going to have replay, let's do it right. Because otherwise, you're still going to run into situations where something like this is going to happen. And, you know, thank goodness it, it obviously didn't affect the outcome of the game. The Astros did win. But what if it had? Then we'd, we'd really be talking about it. And you could tell in the, you know, Marisnik, as soon as he runs over LaCroix, it was, it was immediately obvious it was a bad collision. But like within a split second, Stephen, I mean, Marisnik was right there, like worried about him. So you knew just by his reaction that the last thing he wanted to do was run directly into him. And and they kind of had a head on head collision. But, you know, sometimes as a as an umpire, you got to look at the whole thing play out. It's about intent. That's what it is. Yeah. It's about intent. And yeah. if that intent was obvious, you know, it's almost like the NFL, maybe trying to be too protective with the quarterbacks. I mean, are we starting to see that with catchers now too, that we're starting to see these calls? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Just, I, I just, I've thrown a, the white flag with the officials. I, I kind of surrender it. I, I just don't understand a lot of the stuff that goes on anymore. Last thing I, I wanted to get to, and uh, let's, let's end on a super positive note. I want to congratulate team USA soccer. It was an absolute joy to watch them, they are a joy. Their run was historic. They outscored their opponents 26 to 3 in the tournament. They never even trailed during the World Cup. They led 442 out of 630 minutes over 70% of the time. They also scored 
more goals than any team has ever scored in a World Cup tournament. Megan Rapino, just sensational. She had her 34th, 34th birthday Friday and had what would turn out to be the game-deciding World Cup goal on Sunday, two days later. At age 34, Stephen, she's yet another example in sports these days that age doesn't matter. See Tiger Woods, Tom Brady, Serena Williams, Roger Federer, even the two most dominant pitchers in baseball right now, Verlander and Scherzer, what are they, like 36 and 35 yep. years old? Thirty. Uh-huh. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, do you do you have a cup of tea nearby, Robert? Do you want to toast them with a cup of tea? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Alex Morgan. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And I think, you know, let's be honest. Women are keeping the game of soccer alive in this country. Would you not agree? I, I mean, they're not even close. And, and pay the woman. Pay the woman. They well, deserve it. I was going to get to that. I was going to get to that, too, is that, you know, people are not going to stop talking about it until these organizations wise up and get with it and start paying them what they should be paid. And as I said, if, if it weren't for the U.S. women's soccer team, nobody would be even talking about soccer in this country right now, just about. And hey, at the tournament, Team USA fans were chanting that too. They, they, they were chanting it at the World Cup. That tells you all you need to know. Also, you know, I got to say, I learned the name and the game of Rose Lavelle during the World Cup. And not only is she fun to watch play, but Steven, she is hilarious on Twitter. Are you familiar with her Twitter game? Because it's funny. I have not seen a lot of her Twitter feeds, no. All right. This, th- these are some of Rose Lavelle's tweets, and uh, I-, I hope I can do them just- justice. But uh, Rose Lavelle says, if I ask you if you're dressing up and you say no, and then you show up in jeans... This is a betrayal of our friendship because you should know anything beyond sweatpants is formal clothing to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm wearing sweatpants right now. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> so so you're, you're good in Rose's book. She says, I'm, I'm always so good at remembering you can't eat meat on Friday during Lent immediately after the fact that I just ate meat on Friday during Lent. Okay, what's her Twitter account? I need to follow her. It's just real simple. It's at Rose Lavelle, L-A-V-E-L-L-E. She says, life is great, but it does suck that there's no way for dogs to understand that the reason we're not sharing our chocolate with them is actually out of love and not hate. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. She just tells it like it is. And see, that's the kind of fun I don't mind having on Twitter. It's, It's all these other idiots that get on there that make me want to get off Twitter. Last one I got for you is she says, my eyes are telling me to go to sleep, but my heart is telling me to explore the world, world wide web for another three hours. <laughs> Especially right now, right? Oh my goodness. She is a treat. Like go just, I mean, there's four of them. And I, and I went down one after another and I think I was laughing out loud uh, all the way down the page as I was going from one to another. I love it. I'll have to definitely follow her. Cause I could use a good laugh now and then. Well, lots of good laughs for the Astros fans before the break. That's good to see the NBA. I don't know about laughs, but it, it it's it is a soap opera that has been fun to follow, and I look forward to uh, continuing to talk about the Astros the rest of the way with you, Stephen. And, and it's good to do this first show, and so much to talk about. Uh, we're going nearly an hour. It's not typical, but man, we had a lot to talk about in the last week. Absolutely, Robert. Well, it's been a pleasure and uh, love to do it again. Thanks so much for having me on. All right. Good stuff. And we'll talk to you 
again really soon. Hope everybody had a great fourth weekend. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.